This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network, the only dedicated hunting, shooting and fishing radio show here in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about AHP, visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to email us, then you can go to the website and click on the contact icon. Or alternatively, you can email me directly at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast, you can visit the website and click on the archived podcast link. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes for automatic updates. Make sure you leave a comment and rate us five stars on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. On Facebook, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast, where listeners are sharing ideas, thoughts and opinions, as well as photos and videos. Twitter.com forward slash AH podcast if you'd like to follow our Twitter feed. You can also check out my videos on YouTube under the name Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, all social media links can be found on the website. Everyone knows I love my listeners, but I've got especially some extra special love for my donating listeners. If you'd like to donate or do a monthly subscription to the show, go to the website and click on the donate button on the right-hand side of the main page and show your support, which is always appreciated. That helps us keep the lights on in this joint and pay those bills. We have over 65 hours of free podcasting audio content to date for you all to enjoy. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people as you know into hunting, shooting and fishing as possible so they can enjoy this fantastic lifestyle that we all love. So as usual, without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Tom Jones, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate talk about hunting in New Zealand. Yeah, thank you very much, Jason. It's good to be talking to you, and um, hopefully we can explain a bit about hunting New Zealand to the Australian public and um, promote it a bit. Absolutely, man. I mean, first off, I guess, tell us about yourself, mate. Hunt, shoot, fish, all of the above. What do you do? Absolutely. Hunting, shooting, fishing, uh, anything that goes, really. Uh, brought up in New Zealand. Um, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, that's all right. Well, so what do you enjoy, man? Like, what? Tell us about. I mean, species. You know, what do you what do you enjoy? I mean, I know you live over here now, but what do you what do you enjoy in New Zealand? What gets you hunting? Well, basically, I thrive on uh, alpine hunting. So the Tara chamois really floats my boat, and um, a bit of trout fishing here and there. But we got hunting red stags and fallow as well. But yeah, mostly I like chasing a tar. They're pretty magnificent sort of animal and. 
Yeah. Yeah, mate, how did you, I mean, talking about that, a lot of people, you know, have gotten into it different ways. I mean, some people it was a, a you know, family tradition, some people, friends got them into it, maybe it was a friend from school, you know, grandfather could have been. How did you uh, get into this sort of hunting and outdoor lifestyle? I know it's big in New Zealand. Uh, is it a big, big tradition over there in New Zealand? Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of people doing it. Um, me personally, I was brought up with my father being a helicopter shooter and a, um, yeah. a deer color. So I was through the generations, and his father hunted as well. So been brought up by them, and um, it's really just been in the blood. And the old man was uh, a commercial hunter and shot for most the majority of his work in life. So pretty much been brought up from getting taught by him and um, learning the ways and everything so it's really ingrained in me and it's what we eat sleep and breathe really yeah mate who else i mean got brothers sisters they hunt mum and dad just dad or who who hunts in your family basically just dad my brother's a mechanic but he's a poor excuse for a hunter <laughs> why is that why just not not any good or he just he, uh, no, doesn't he just enjoy doesn't, it he, he just doesn't get into it not as much as I think I'm Dad's favourite son, but shouldn't go into that. <laughs> mate, I was going to say, mate, I've seen I've seen uh, some of the photos you, you've posted and stuff like that. Mate, I tell you what, those hills in New Zealand, crazy. You guys got to have a bit of fitness over there to get up those hills or what? Yeah, it takes a bit. Like, uh, when you take a photo of a mountain, you've got to take three photos so you can just get the whole mountain in the pick, you know, <laughs> and they cut it all together. But, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fitness, a lot of mental stuff as well. Like, if you tell yourself you can't go there, it's, like, it's 90% in your head, you know, but you can, it's amazing how far you can go when you just put set your mind to something and then your body will follow. Yeah, nah. Agreed, mate. In, in New Zealand, I mean, obviously Australia, different species between here and New Zealand, mate, but tell us about, I mean, the culture of, of hunting in New Zealand. I mean, I, I, I chat to a few guys as well, mate. It seems like it's a really sort of respected, you know, cultural pastime in New Zealand. A lot of family get into it. It's very traditional. Give us a bit of a, a quick rundown. I mean, I guess what it means to you to be a hunter, but generally, you know, what the feeling is like to be able to hunt in New Zealand and what the general public think. Yeah, it's a lot more acceptable um, in New Zealand than it is in Australia. Like they 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 done the same as Australia, like bought over all the game hunting species. But because we've only got four and a half million people, like half the size of Sydney, basically, um, in in a small area such as New Zealand, with so much vast amount of wilderness, it's it's become very socially acceptable. Um, everybody goes out and, and gets a feed for their family, um, either it be hunting or gathering shellfish or fishing, uh, one way or another, somebody in somebody's family is always out there doing it. So um, it's definitely a thriving culture, um, just basically on that. And then because of the, the Māori people b- before us, they're, they're great hunters, like they hunted the mower and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's been passed down, but you get that sort of sense of um, almost respect to the land when you're doing it as well. Yeah, no. I had a friend who went over there, I think, I'm not sure which one of the, he went with an outfitter or a fishing charter boat, and they caught, mate, he reckons he's caught the biggest kingfish he's ever seen in his life. Is this true? Yeah, we, <laughs> me and uh, Dave Fent were just up at uh, White Island. Yep. Just off the coast here, and we got into a few kingies, and there's some crackers there. 
<laughs> no, I did. I did hear that's pretty good. Mate, obviously, you know, people uh, in New Zealand, you know, they really, really sort of enjoy their hunting and uh, obviously a lot of different species they can hunt over there, a lot of, you know, obviously a lot different than here as well. Let's go through sort of um, a couple of those species, you know, like what sort of, you know, if people come to New Zealand, they want to hunt, they small game, big game, waterfowl, what can they hunt over in New Zealand? Um, well... We'll go through the big game first. You've basically got the Roosevelt Alps that were brought over by Teddy Roosevelt um, in the early uh, 1900s. Then you've got the chamois that was brought over um, from a, some prince in uh, Europe, and then the bull tar were brought over as well. Um, and then you've got whitetail, uh, samba, seeker, rooster, um, red, fallow, just basically, and then pigs as well. Um, they tried releasing moose um, and several African plains game at one stage, but um, the moose they got shot out, and then the uh, the plains game didn't do too well over in uh, the wet sort of country of New Zealand compared to the dry, vast deserts of Africa. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was big game. What else we got? Anything else in the big game market there to hunt over there in New Zealand? Uh, that's basically the big game market, but you got you got a lot of rabbits, um, rabbits, ferrets, stoats. Um, they're all classed as pests, and then you got the possums. Obviously, we've got about thirty million possums in New Zealand, so you guys <laughs> done a real good job bringing those over. <laughs> but no, well, we can't shoot them over here. You guys can. I think, I think they can in Tasmania, just not anywhere else. Yeah, my. Uh, my clients love coming over and knocking those over with a three of eight, three of eight, or firing ten shot yeah. fireworks. At them Is there or, a lot of lot of wallaby over there? Yeah, a few wallabies as well. Yep, um, yep. a few different spots wallabies are around, and um, then you got uh, pheasants and Canadian geese. They've just taken the Canadian geese off the game bird species list, so we can hunt them all year round with about everything and anything. Um, then we got obviously the mallards, and then we got a paradise duck. And then teal, but um, and then we got a and critically endangered duck called the uh, blue duck as well, but that's obviously not shootable. Yeah, no, I got a couple of one of the guys on my Facebook too. He's a big hunter over there, and uh, I noticed the guys. I interviewed a guy I think for uh, episode twenty five. He's an American guy, but I know a lot of guys decoy pigeons over there and get. You know, these guys are shooting three, four hundred pigeons a day over decoys. I mean, that sounds good too. Yeah, a lot of a lot of that in the North Island. Um, they specialise more in North Island on um, yeah the pigeons, turkeys, pheasants, uh, chucker, and that sort of Bloody stuff. Hell, how many? How much game? <laughs> this is a hunter's uh, you know smorgasbord of hunting opportunities. It basically is. It's um <laughs> as you can say, you can drive through town with a couple of stags, a pig, and some wallabies on the back, and you're not going to get looked at any differently or yep. probably looked at better compared to the greenie driving down the road in the Nissan Cube, you know? Yeah. Going back to the, uh, I said wallabies before, I actually meant possums. You said there's a lot of possums over there. They uh, yep. obviously legal legal to hunt over there, classified as a pest. Tell me about the possums. They're just, you know, really, you know, are they are they a good hunting opportunity or more just for, for a culling opportunity or what's the, what's the go? Uh, well, basically, the only possums are nocturnal so they only basically come out at night um, you spotlight them, but um, yeah, they'll climb over the roofs of the huts and they'll disturb you and you'll hear them and they'll cackle away all night and so you get up and shoot them in the middle of the night. But uh, it's a really, they 
uh, carry TV, so it's a really huge problem over in New Zealand that the possums are going to spread the TV into the livestock and um, then the export industries are knackered. So there's a lot going on. They poison them, 1080 them, so on I, just about everything. Yeah. I've done that for for many years, but uh, obviously got out of it because it's hard work and um, wasn't re- what I was really looking for in the hunting industry. Yeah, right. Mate, tell us about, well, obviously you run, yeah, you do outfitting, Main Divide Outfitters. I mean, tell us about, I guess, you know, tell us about the business first and then what sort of main game you 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 sort of run for people over there that want to go on hunting opportunities in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Main Divide Outfitters really, I just started it up because there's plenty of other outfits out there, but they don't really cater to just the average hard-working bloke um, that, Australia offers, you know, like a lot of guys want to hunt overseas and to pay for up to $10,000 just for one animal, it's, it's ridiculous, you know. So I started up being sort of a, a lower, more affordable price so some blokes can get out there and just have a, a really good hunt and have a bloody good time. But um, we we basically specialise in the alpine stuff, so we do tar and chamois is what we mostly do, about 90% of our hunts are tar and chamois, and then the rest will do um, red stags on private land there and... Um, a few guys that want to chase pigs or goats and stuff, we can do a culling trip, and we also do a bit of guided trout fishing as well. Yeah, is it a, a pretty good job, you reckon, taking people hunting? Or Yeah, it's great. Like, I love it. You get to meet people from all over. Um, they come as clients, you know, and they leave as friends because you're on the hill 24-7 with them, and it's, it, they they come full of experience, you know, and you get to know each other. So it's a, pretty much just a made-divide family we're growing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mate, tell us, I mean, let's talk about, you said you're mainly the big game there. I mean, let's talk about what, I mean, what sort of um, hunting opportunities you offer. So let's talk about the big game. So what people have come over there, what sort of, you know, your most popular. Tell us about some of those big games. You said tar and chamois. I mean, they're the most popular. What are people generally, you know, buying from you when they want a good hunting opportunity? What's the most popular? Yeah, definitely the the tar and chamois are most popular. Um, So... We come over and basically we'll, we'll either helicopter into a spot or we'll have a, a private land um, area that we go to um, with trophy fees, but most of our wilderness hunter, we haven't got any trophy fees and we go to pretty bloody good spots. Like we'll see at least two, 300 animals in the week, you know, and you can pick from a couple of bulls. Um, so a lot of guys enjoy the freedom of the hunt, not having to pay trophy fees and stuff, and we, we usually helicopter in and helicopter out. Um, and the tar is mostly the biggest one. They want to come for the big mane, the big shaggy-looking uh, mountain goat. And they, the the area we hunt is is um, basically probably the worst you're going to get in New Zealand for country. But then again, it's quite easy to hunt, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, we're walking slow and stuff, and we can take an hour to get up to a spot to shoot an animal, and then, then the retrieving it's not a problem, you know. Or then some instances retrieving it's a problem and we shoot them from camp you know so what sort of um i mean when people go over there what are they expecting i mean daily hunts two three four five day hunts what are they expecting well basically we cater for anything from about three day hunts all the way up to about 10 12 multi-animal hunts um but it is the expectation for hunting in new zealand is a little bit different um the american market's been pushed these big, big stags coming out, big stags, huge tar, you know, and people sort of don't understand we're doing this 100% free range and these big 30-point red stags aren't running around. They're all shot high fence. And um, so the expectation is really high from the Australian hunters, but 
um, we've got about an 80 to 90 percent return client base, so it means we're doing a good job. At least we can. Uh, all our blokes are promoting us because they love it so much and getting all their friends to come, and we're just <laughs> completely overwhelmed with the um, amount of hunters we're getting and coming through. It's been a real great response to just being the small guy in the industry and just treating people right, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about stocks. I know years ago, some people have spoken to me. I mean, even I did one, not in New Zealand, here in Australia, um, where I saw it was a big trophy. I went on a trophy goat hunt. Now, I got stuff all, right? <laughs> now, yeah. If people come on the on the trip, you know, I mean, obviously nothing's ever guaranteed. We know that. That's just part of the thing. If it was guaranteed, I guess it wouldn't be hunting. But, you know, what are the stocks like over in New Zealand? You know, have, has anyone ever come in and not been able to get the, you know, the, 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 the animal or at least a animal they want? Or what, what, what do we generally do? Well, basically, like where we go will also depend on the weather. Um, like if it's not bad on the east coast, it's bad on the west coast, you know. So um, we can usually pick where we go, but sometimes we just get bad weather all the time. And that can also, like if we had just at least three fine days of anywhere in New Zealand, I, I could almost guarantee an animal. But um, the weather plays a huge part. Um, our success rate on tars high 90s like we've only had two boats come this year and not get tarred just because it um it poured down the rain and it snowed and it was horrible you know so yeah, yeah. um but they shot the tarts just we couldn't retrieve them because oh, <laughs> right, gotcha. and they're stuck in the bluffs and stuff so it was a bit of a pain but if we had an extra couple of days we would have been able to extra couple of days of fine weather i should say get them on but yeah, yeah. um like, and then the last hunt we had, we've seen 500 animals. The guys had shot two bulls each and then had an opportunity to shoot about 100 more. So um, it really depends on weather, um, the type of uh, country you're hunting and then uh, what time of year you come. Like spring, they come down lower and the valley's down to the creeks almost and you can shoot them from the creek um, up onto the faces or you just cut along and sidle across the faces and hunt below the bluffs um, and where the fresh greenery's coming around. And then in the in the May time, they'll all mob up um, and the the big bull tail will be holding a lot of nannies. So they, a big mob stands out and every good sort of bench will hold a mob of tar, if you know what I mean. So there's about 30,000 tar within 100 kilometres square. So really, really dense population for free-range hunting. Obviously, we can't guarantee an animal, but obviously it's um, it's pretty bloody good. Yeah, mate. What, what, let's talk about one. You talk about the weather being bad for not great for hunting. What's the best time yeah. of the year to go hunting You know, in New Zealand? Is, are these animals uh, on like a season? Are they are they year-round? Tell us about that and just tell us about um, best time of the year to sort of, you know, if you want to really to book a hunt, have a good, real good opportunity. Yeah, so with the tar, basically any time between April, um, March, April through to June, the end of the season, they'll begin a bit cold then and you'll probably get the odd snowstorm come through. But in that time, um, they'll be have a full-grown mane. Uh, they'll be chasing their nannies around, a lot of animals coming out. Um, and also you'll get the reds rutting then too and the fallow and also the chamois. So um, April was a great time to come. Like the first week in April for the raw, for the reds, is perfect. Um, and then I say for about the second week in May is perfect for the tar to hit the peak of the rut. And then, But the, the rut will start at the end of April and go through to the end of May, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. No, um, good. Oh, sorry, go on. You're right. Yeah, and 
with the spring hunts, like basically October to the end of November, start of December, you'll get because there's not much feed up high for the tar and the spring growth will start from the bottom of the valley and make its way up. So the tar about uh, the second week in October will just dive bomb from the tops of the mountains all the way down to the bottom of the valley and then it makes the hunting for bull tar and they'll mob up. So you've got huge mobs up to maybe 100 tar in one mob um, <laughs> and you've got to pick out which one you... And as soon as you shoot, you know, and if you don't polex it, it's like just like wait wait no not that one that one no shit oh wait wait look there's almost need a shotgun <laughs> or buckshot you know yeah. but, are these open um, areas that I give you I know because I mean, I've seen some of the photos you've put like some some of it seems like you know really mountainous really open uh, do they sort of how do you get up on them or it's, or it's thick coverage or where are they sort of hunting what sort of hunting areas basically what I like to do and a lot of other outfitters like to do is we, we glass from the bottom um yeah, there's no point gaining height, um, just walking up endlessly up just a random bluff or face for no reason. So mid-afternoon we'll, we'll glass from the valley up onto the faces, um, spot tar, and then we'll slowly make our way up closer to them. Um, uh, usually they'll be feeding um, just on a, a line of, of grass, either below or just on top of the bluffs. Um, and They'll be in there all day, bitter down, and you won't see them until about 3.30, 4 o'clock. One will stand up, and then another one will stand up, and all of a sudden you'll just have about 30, 40 tars standing in front of you. Um, after waiting all day for them, they're like, sort of like amazing. They just come out of nowhere, you know. I don't know where they go. They just sit on the rocks down in the tuffic, and you can't see them. <laughs> Mate, what about when you go, are these like, because uh, you, obviously you've got your sort of pet areas that you go to, um, are these sort of animals, they know they've been shot at before, are they spooky, or once they've, you know, if they sort of catch you coming up, they're on to you, they're gone like wildfire, or, they, or they're pretty pretty sort of stupid, or what's what's the go? Well, any time in the rut, they're obviously a bit silly, uh, and even on the in the spring because they mean so much grass is so fat they can't run away too quick and they sort of ferments a bit so they get a bit drunk um, <laughs> and act a bit silly I don't know why but um, like basically where we go um, it's at least a three four day walk from any road end so it's barely ever been pressured some spots we go guys haven't been there for years you know so wow. um, the only thing that will chase them would, would be the helicopters so um, and once you dropped off and the helicopter noise goes, we've had tar walk right past camp. Um, we've been cooking a feed and one of my clients turns around, oh yeah, there's a whole hill full of tar, you know, and just run over the bluff and shoot a couple and we're away, you know, and that's the first afternoon, so it can happen just as easy as that. Yeah, no, good stuff. Um, let's talk about when you know when people bring, what's uh, the go-to, I mean, do you provide uh, rifles? Does can the hunters bring their own over? Uh, and if so, what's popular? You know, if you have to supply a firearm, what's the general for those type of game for those big game sort of animals over there? Yeah, well, the guys are more than welcome to bring their own firearm over. It's just such a pain in the ass from Australia because you've got to get export permits, import permits. You've got to um, just get so much contact the firearms registry and just everything to get your firearm out of the country and then back in. So we do have uh, client rifles that we use. Um, our one's a 7mm Rem Mag, uh, Tika T3, that's got a, we decked it out, fluted barrel, uh, half cock bolt, and then lightened the trigger, um, fluted the bolt, and, and then put some pressure on the end, seracoded it, 
um, and then just about done everything you possibly could to it. Uh, so like the first week we had it on the mountain, it basically the stainless, or it's not stainless, it all rusted up. So because the air is so moist, but anything over about a three-hour wait, we like for tar. Um, something that's got a lot of lot of kick, a lot of power, uh, a lot of kinetic energy, because they can soak up the lead very, very easily if they get a bit of adrenaline in them, just like a red stag. Yeah. Tom, mate, what, what can people bring? I mean, we just talked about firearms. You know, you generally supply that, make it a lot easier uh, for people, the 7mm ring. Do people need to bring anything, just warm clothes? I mean, obviously, I know over there it can be pretty cold. So what are people sort of, do you make and bring anything or just warm clothes and camo clothes and be done with it? Or Yeah, basically, um, we just ask them to bring a good sleeping bag, um, warm clothes, jackets, binos, pants, everything, basically what you'd need for your own average hunting. Um, we supply all the, the cooking gear, the tents, the air mattresses, um, basically everything other than your clothes, sleeping bag and binos. Um, so uh, you've got a pack, uh, we asked you to try to keep it under about 25 kilos um, for the helicopter, but if, you, if you're a little bit over that, it's not a problem. But you can, we get a lot of guys just asking what sort of gear to bring. We we really suggest having a really good jacket, um, a lot of thermals, two or three sets of thermals, um, and then just all your average stuff like fleece clothing. Um, the one thing I don't like personally is jeans and cotton. Cotton will get uh, wet, and once it's wet, it'll get very, very cold, and the wind will cut through it very quickly. And then jeans, again, they'll get wet. They won't be too cold, but the wind's going to cut through them and then they become heavy and just sluggish and then you can't dry them out um, if it's raining over the next couple of days anyway, so they're useless. Um, the fleece is very, the fleece nowadays is very uh, fast drying, so I get a lot of the guys to bring fleece and um, when we send out our deposit invoices, we um, send out a gear list as well so we, the guys know what to bring and um, the binos and then also if they want to bring their own knives and stuff, all that's optional and yeah. Yeah. What about you know? People just say that people have a great hunt. They get you know, tar, shamus, whatever it is. I mean, red deer. You name it. Hard to do. You guys or just you have a recommended taxidermy over there and organise it so people can bring these back to Australia. Or yeah, absolutely. Um, well, went on the hill. Um, I'll skin it and then tape it out to whatever you want. If you want a full mount or a shoulder mount, um, or even just a European, we can do that as well. Um, so. Cape that, and then we'll head skin up when we're back at camp. I'll salt the skin down, um, ready for the taxidermist. And then when we get out from the hunt, we'll, uh, we'll drive to the taxidermist place. You'll fill out a client card. Um, and then, like, we use a bloke in West Melton, just out of Christchurch, called Barry Ryan. He's um, a very respected uh, taxidermist in New Zealand. He's got uh, a lot of medals for his tar over the years. Um, just this last New Zealand taxidermy champs he got number one for his uh all tar mount so he's a very very good taxidermist does a great job um knows all the ins and outs of it so all our most of our bikes we take it to uh barry and he sorts it out yeah no nah, good stuff man talking about again i'm not familiar with this you'll be able to enlighten us when you're out i mean either when you're out in the hunt when you get a tar, what sort of which animals of these can you actually use for me? Because I mean, I know obviously I know deer and samba and obviously whitetail. Can you eat the chamois, bull tar, and the elk? I mean, I think you probably eat elk, but what about the tar and the chamois? Can you eat them? Yeah, absolutely. Like if we should a, a nice chamois, you know, even if it be a buck, I'll, we'll bring it back. And um, when we fly out, I'll just throw the, the whole animal on the, um, the helicopter 
and take it to a butcher. So in New Zealand, we're allowed to take our animals to butchers to be processed. So it be a, a chamois, red stag, tar, anything, I can take it there and I'll ask them, oh, yeah, can you make me some breakfast sausages, salamis, um, cut out all the good steaks and bag them up sort of thing, and they'll do that. Um, it's not like Australia where you can't do that. But, yeah, it's, so a lot of our clients come and they're eating the last client sort of animals, and um, we try to keep a lot of game meat on the hill so they can sort of enjoy it and respect it as well. Yeah, speaking of that too, like when you're supplying food to customers on the hunt, what do they obviously be pretty basic? What do, what do they get to eat when they're out on like a three or four day hunt? They're freezing their bum off. What, what, what do they get to eat? Oh, you'd be surprised. We're getting pretty good at the old cooking. Um, uh, barbecue pork ribs, um, family pies is a good one, chicken wings, um, pasta. We do a lot of stews, uh, sausages and bacon and eggs, fries deep fried fish, everything really, we're not just the basic beehive meals, we um, put a lot of effort into the cooking as well because try to keep up the, the carbohydrates and fats as much as possible because in the mountains it just drains you, it'll suck you and then you end up not enjoying the hunt as much as if we just overload you of carbs and fat and the as most um, energy as we can give you, coke, just about anything just to keep you going you know because it sucks out so much energy. Um, that we really do focus on having such good food. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm just. I was just on Google like two seconds when you were talking, looking at tar. I mean, there. I've seen a photo of them before, but geez, they're an amazing animal with this big, big mane, aren't they? Almost looks like when it full a full mane, kind of amazing, isn't it? Really? Yeah, absolutely. They um they can go just about anywhere on the hill, and they're one of the only other animals in the world other than a lion and a camel that actually grow a mane um, during the mating season. Yeah. So it's uh, it's fairly impressive, and they can grow up to be about two hundred or just over pounds, um, and their horn lengths like anything over about eleven inches through to about thirteen, half fourteen is probably as big as you're going to get free range in New Zealand. But um, yeah, they're just amazing sort of animals. Um, I got definitely a lot of respect for them, um, just the places they go, and like they'll stand on the biggest face rock, just bluff all the way up beyond vertical bluff for several hundred metres and they'll stand on right on the top and their mane will just blow in the wind just to prove you that there's no show in hell that you're ever going to get up there. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, I know you guide for you said you guide for all those uh, particular animals. Uh, but what does sort of the business offer? You said obviously the food, the experience. You know, I think we discussed you know, how many days hunts. I mean, uh, anything else you can sort of tell us about that experience when people sort of go out there? What they'll sort of you know get for get for their money and what they can sort of expect? Yeah, well, basically. Um the free range tar is the biggest thing, so our hunts are, are catering for the average hard-working Australian and um, just the blokes that want to get out for a real good hunt. So for 2016, we're already almost booked up for 2015, but for 2016 our hunt started about well, 3,300 or so um, and then just go up from there on depending on how many days. So um, we really just... If you blokes want to come over for a real good hunt um, and get into it and not be paranoid about, oh, I won't be able to shoot a second animal if I see a bigger one, you know, because um, we have no trophy fees, we don't have that problem, and it's really just enjoying the hunt. If we see a chamois on the tar area, we'll knock that over too, and yeah. it's really just a, a laid-back but professional and organised uh, hunt, really.
Yeah. Well, who's the client? I mean, are you normally catering for? I mean, obviously, everyone around the world, obviously, going to your website and having a look. But do you get more Kiwis? Do you get more Aussies? Do you get people from other parts of the country? Who's your, who's your main business? Well, we're trying to target the Aussies as much as we can, um, just because, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, they're a lot easier to guide than, say, um, Americans, where um, it can be quite a mission, and they sort of don't understand the concept of this is free range, this is this real hunting, you know, not just behind the fence stuff. So you sort of have to explain it to them a little bit more. But the Australian guys, yeah, it's more like hunting with your friends, and they're a lot more down to earth and um, appreciate a lot more that you do with them. So we like get a lot more Australians through and 90% of our clients base is from Australia and the rest is from uh, Europe and South Africa and America but um, yeah basically most, most of our guys are from Australia Yeah good stuff me I know permits actually just talk about permits that's a good one we just had it there uh, when people come over do you organise the permits they have to organise themselves how, do, how does the permits work and if so are there costs are that involved in the uh, cost of the you know the outfitting on doing the guiding or what, what happens there yeah absolutely All the, before, if you come over for a hunt everything's basically organised um, we got under a concession for public land and private land you don't need a concession so everything's sort of organised after the guys book the hunt we um we fill out forms and stuff like that but um on the client side of it they don't have to do anything um basically they step off the plane and we get straight stuck straight into hunting um when you guide with us obviously if you're going to come over and do a do-it-yourself hunt um there's a different thing you've got to go through like a department conservation um and then make sure you're not hunting in the area that's got 1080 or um stuff like that or if it's close to hunting you've got to also be wary of that uh, for different things so but yeah basically after you get off the plane we jump straight into the hunting um there's no mucking around and there's no stresses your guys side so it's basically just um jump on the helicopter and get into it yeah i know we'll talk about you want to talk about was to about fitness when you go on those hunts we spoke about it initially but it's important people you know if they're gonna sort of think about doing this get into a bit of fitness get into a bit of walking or start hitting the hills or you know is, it, is fitness not really a factor you know i'm not i'm not a small guy either there's guys like those guys a lot bigger than me too um but what what do they sort of generally need to do in regards to the fitness because obviously again i've seen those hills and i i think even the best of them and the, you know some of those hills would tame the best of guys yeah, it's, it's it's surprising you say that. Like, we've had blokes that are 13 years old all the way up to 70 years old, and uh, we've had blokes that are 300 pounds, so, uh, and we've got them basically all animals. So the hunting really is the fitter you are, the more you're going to enjoy it. Um, but if you do a bit of pre- preparation, um, it always helps, but it's not 100% necessary. Like, most blokes will just jump on the plane and come over, you know, and get into it. Um, also, it depends on if you're concerned about that we can go to the area that's slightly easier compared to a, a lot more rugged but usually we're hunting we'll spot animals from camp and hunt basically from camp there's so many animals in the areas that we're going so um, even if we can make the hunt as easy or as hard as you want to do it if you want to be pushed we can sort of take it that extra mile if you just want to get a nice trophy bull there's definitely a lot of opportunities to hunt close to camp or um, with the helicopter because we're getting flown right in there, obviously we don't need to walk as far as compared to be fit as anything and walking four days into the areas that we're already hunting, you know? Yeah. What are the sort of the uh, popular, I mean, you talk about Tika before, and that's, you know, 7mm Red Mag. 
Um, uh, only one rifle to choose. I mean, obviously, again, you know, we know the law's a lot different in regards to what you can own in New Zealand compared to here. You know, guys culling you know, from helicopters or on the hunt. Is it only one thing to choose from, if you, if you know what I mean? Yeah, basically, um, the 7 mil um, rear mag's good for tar, but I think about the best-selling calibre in New Zealand is the 7 mil 08. Oh, um, yeah, my it. favourite. I got one. <laughs> yeah, probably 7 mil 08 shooters. <laughs> but, the, yeah, the, the T3s, um, the Tiger T3s are probably the largest-selling ones uh, yep. for rifles itself. But, yeah, it's good to have, because you're allowed the AR-15s and everything, it's... Um, makes for a bit of fun shooting some goats and yeah 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 speaking about that i mean obviously you you live over here now i mean obviously you've experienced the good laws over there and stuff like that how was it you know trying to you know move over here i mean you married an australian girl but moving over here sort of seeing the difference what have you seen in regards to those two differences between australia and new zealand in regards to gun ownership yeah you guys have got no registries over there obviously really really acceptable culture of hunting what's the difference you think between the two Oh, it's just depressing here in Australia. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. Depressing. That's good. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's so free over in New Zealand. Like it's unbelievable. The only thing stopping you from buying everything is the amount of money you've got in your bank. Um, <laughs> like we can go buy fifty cal bench rifles, even twenty mil cannon bench rifles if you if you've got enough money, you know. Um, <laughs> our collectors, the got fully automatic you know, browning 50 cal machine guns and just about anything. So yeah. um, that you're allowed to own in New Zealand and then um, semi-automatics. You're not allowed fully automatics, but um, definitely semi-automatics. And then you're classed from that. Like even just with a normal license, you can go in and buy a, a thumbhole stock a semi-automatic AR-15 or for five-shot magazine. Um, and you're allowed to put a suppressor on it, rails, red dot scope, anything you sort of want. And that's um, just, Tom, that's just on a normal normal sort of licence? Yep, just a normal firearms licence, and there's no registry, so you can walk in there and buy a hundred of them in a million rounds and have enough to fight a war yourself, and the police wouldn't even know. Yeah. So, um, so if I get my license, if I, was, if I was to move there, for an example, I got a licence, or I became obviously a resident, I got a licence, I get my licence, I can head down to you know, Gun City or any one of those places and purchase them over the counter. No permits to acquire, no rubbish like that? No, no permits, no nothing. You walk in there, give them the money, and you walk out, basically. Oh, mate. There's no wait, no cool-down period. Um, like AR-15... Uh, 2D3s of um, 12 gauge shotguns connected to the rail and stuff like that, so <laughs> she'll go. Um, <laughs> a lot of boys like that. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what about this? Interesting, you because know, obviously you know a bit about it. You've lived there uh, for quite quite a while, but you know, um, what about safe storage and that? They have safe. I mean, is it they require you to have it in a safe over there? Is it generally the same as Australia in that respect, or what's the what's the go in regards to safe storage? Um. With storage, obviously everything has to be in a gun safe. Um, with a, um, having military-style semi-automatics with a pistol grip, you've got to have a, a rated um, gun safe that's ECAT. We call it E-category license, so you have to apply for that um, just to get the, the large capacity mags and um, just the, 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 the pistol grip stock itself. Yeah, is that a hard, um, sorry, explain that, is that a, that EK, is that simply, you know, you got to, is it some extra training you got to do, or is it something you just got to apply for and it takes a week, tell me about that. 
Uh, basically, you just apply for it and you give your reason for applying for it. So I've had it before where I just, uh, for pest control, um, and then obviously you've got to renew it every few years, um, and they come check your safe a lot more. They're a lot more strict with you. Um, basically, what they are in Australia, just with a normal licence, but you're allowed so much more. Um, high capacity magazines like 30 shot mags, um, you're allowed. Uh, yeah, just about anything. Suppressors, no problem, straight off the counter, walk in? Absolutely. Oh, suppressor you can have on any rifles, any class licence. Um, yeah. And you can get subsonic loads for it, make subsonic loads if you trail wash powders and stuff like that, and it's not a worry. And <laughs> you can shoot that, and all you can hear is the primer hitting the, <laughs> the pin hitting the primer. It doesn't even make a sound when it goes off. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously been into gun stores over there. I've checked out their websites and stuff. When you go into the shops, mate, I mean, obviously, you know, specific, you're going for a bigger game, a bold action's appropriate for that. Depends on pest control. I've seen a couple of videos from New Zealand from pest control. But what are people buying, mate? What's popular? You know, I mean, like people go in there, they're buying shotguns, they're buying pumps, are they under and overs? Are they, you know, they're buying ARs, are they buying bold actions? What are, you know, what are you seeing over there, people? You know, is it a mixture of everything depending on their taste or, or what's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's basically whatever they, the purpose they want it for. Obviously, the shotgun boys are going to be chasing their mallards and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, yeah, the the rifle shooters going to be chasing the just the normal rifles, bolt action rifles. And then you're also getting the the Browning uh, Browning uh, automatic rifles, so the semi-automatic Brownings, uh, Browning lever actions. Um, and then you've got the Remington Woodmaster series, so they're semi-automatic uh, centerfire rifles as well. Um, and then you're getting some of the custom ARs, SKS, SKKs, that have, uh, the guys will shoot goats with all day and um, just that sort of stuff. But basically um, all the Alpine blokes are, are using just long-barreled, um, long but heavy-barrel rifles, um, mountain rifles a lot lighter than your usual ones, all cut down and... Um, or oh, everything cut out of it, like fluted, bolt fluted, um, yeah, basically all that. And then yeah. most of the guys for the duck shooting are, are getting all the Benellis and um, Berettas and that sort of stuff. So the semi-automatic yeah. shotguns are probably your largest sellers. Um, and then you got the pump actions and stuff like that, the old Mosberg. But, yeah, most folks um, that are sort of hardcore on the... the um, Ducks, they're sort of going for the uh, Benellis and Berettas at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Remingtons as well, the Versamax, I think it is. Yeah. Good stuff. Mate, we're just going to go to a quick break. I'll uh, be right back with Tom Jones. Don't go anywhere. G'day. I'm Peter Johnson from the Shirties and Fishers Party, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. I've been a hunter and a fisher all my life. It's in my blood. And I want to make sure that the next generation of hunters and fishers have the same opportunities that I did when growing up. That's why I'm standing as a candidate for the Shooters and Fishers Party. No other party is fighting for the rights of firearm owners and fishers. And in March 2015, I'll be asking for your support to continue the fight for our rights. To find out more, please visit us www.sfp2015.org.au. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. 
course content includes gulling, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person, so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit www.sydney.net. This is an ad for the Liberal Democrats. But the Liberal Democrats don't want me to talk about them. They want me to talk about you. People should control governments. Governments shouldn't control people. In fact, the Liberal Democrats think the less you hear from the government, the better. Unless you're hurting someone, governments should get out of the way and let you live the life you want. The Liberal Democrats. More freedom, less government. Hey, Mars, did you know there's a place in New South Wales that gun owners, hunters and sporting shooters are very familiar with? Of course, Jason. That place is Horsley Park Gun Shop. That's because they've been around for 30 years and have built a reputation for being the best in the business. They have an extensive range of firearms, ammunition, gun safes, optics and accessories for all your hunting and shooting requirements. And did you know, Jason, they always have bulk ammo specials? Absolutely. The friendly staff at Horsley Park Gun Shop are always there to help you and give you the best advice. Horsley Park Gun Shop are open Monday to Saturday and you can find them on the internet at hpgs.com.au. Come and talk to the team at Horsley Park Gun Shop at 1848 Horsley Road, Horsley Park or call them on 9620 13 13. Tom, I know we'll talk about, you always talk about hunting for firearms, you know, different, you know, different styles of hunting. I know because I've got a couple of mates over in the US and they're starting to get big on um, coyote hunting with ARs and stuff like that. Is it popular for hunting over there? Not really? It's starting to pick up or what's the, what's the feeling over there? Yeah, you'll get the old guy that sort of owns AR-15, goes out, shoots a deer with it, but basically it's just sort of a toy. They, um, <laughs> yeah. like, we'll, uh, we'll mow down 30, 40 goats in my mop, you know, for a couple of ARs, it's a bit of fun, but yeah, a lot of guys didn't like a couple of videos I put up on YouTube <laughs> That's mowing <right>. down. If, <laughs> That's right, but people goats. explain that, uh, Tom. I mean, there's a video, I think I saw it, uh, one of the guys was over on a hill somewhere in New Zealand doing a bit of pest control, which, you know, everyone seems to get a very, very antsy. One minute it's about pest control, you can shoot one or two, but if you shoot 20, all of a sudden it's a major problem. I really don't understand that, but the, vi- the premise of the video was a uh, guy was using an AR, mob of goats, you know, that was his job, obviously, to, you know, remove as many feral animals as he did well he did and um, you know even if i was quite surprised even a few of the you know stupid bloody apathetic shooters saying oh no this is bad and you know this is how australians just don't seem to understand tom yeah well yeah as people say they sort of justify their hunting by um saying oh yeah it's helping the environment but they like oh you're only going to shoot one or two you know but yeah we're just destroying the bush over there so yeah we went out and had a good cow and a good mate of mine was doing it and they sort of come up and you just keep laying into them and they're coming up so close. He had a six-power scope on there and they're standing there at about half a metre away so he's trying <laughs> to look through the scope and bullets and goats are going everywhere and some are falling over but eventually we all killed, killed all of them humanely obviously but 
when they come up, he got a bit decided, and yeah. it was a bit too much fun. Yeah, yeah. I always know that. They're always goats. They're always a bit silly, the old goats. I was in a similar situation with a mate one time. We Obviously, in Australia, so we only had a couple, a couple of bold actions. And uh, he had a 270, and we heard this noise sort of over to the left. And my, my mate goes, oh, let's go down there. And I said, no, no, I've just got a feeling, you know, maybe they might come up to us, maybe. Let's just wait and see. So we heard this noise get closer, and all of a sudden we saw them, you know, they were coming along in front of us uh, down the mountain. We were obviously in between them and the mountain pretty much. We were sort of on the side of it. And my me, me mate shot one with a 270, you know, dropped it, you know, great shot. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm not thinking, because, you know, we sort of took turns, you know, going together. And all of a sudden they turned, and they just bolted towards the the mountain and, and my mate's trying to he's got it on nine power at about 50 meters he's going boom boom missing you know all over the shop and uh you know i could have literally grabbed a couple of these goats if i had like a shotgun or a 30 30 it would have sort of been you know amazing but these goats are just running around us and i didn't even think they knew we were even there yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it can be quite hard like with the suppressor it's even worse because they it sort of doesn't echo quite the same as a, a bolt action or something that hasn't got the suppressor on it such as all the rifles in australia so they tend to run towards you with a suppressor and they sort of think it's coming from the other direction and then yeah it's all on then yeah you're right all right tom mate what we're gonna do mate we're coming up to the end of the show a little bit we're going to do uh, five questions in under a minute. You reckon you can take the challenge? Uh, yeah, sounds all right. All Let's right, I'll, I'll start it after I ask the first question. Your favourite gun you own, what is it and why? Uh, an AR-15 uh, Ruger, um, brand new, smoking out of the box, so well built and it's a good shooter. Yeah, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, new Zealand Tar still, still just got my obsession. Your fondest memory when out hunting or shooting, what was it? Uh, mate scoping himself right in the face with a um, <laughs> brand new 270. All right, all right, what's the one thing you could say about New Zealand that would get people involved and want to come and hunt over in New Zealand? What is it? Um, basically just fun, freedom, enjoy the hunt, really. Nice, mate. 37, this has got to be an all-time record. Thirty-seven seventy-four. starting after the first question so mate fun times all right uh, Tom I know we we answered one of the questions in the five questions under a minute mate tell us a bit of a story mate that sticks in your mind maybe a good day out hunting personal accomplishment maybe a good day with a client can be anything mate give us a bit of a a bit of a story and sort of you know explain it so the the listeners can understand where you're coming from yeah so it's sort of hard to start because I've got so many stories so have to think about this one for a bit. Yeah. It was a good one we got there this year, and she was, um, the weather wasn't looking too good because we were on a time restraint. We sort of had to get in there and, and get going. So we arrived over the coast in some far from flash looking weather, and it was like, oh, the helicopter was sort of wasn't flying the day we arrived, so we had to stay at night and try to get in, into it the next day. and got up to the helipad and the guy said oh the weather's looking a bit rough I was like oh yeah yeah we'll be right you know we've got all the alpine stuff and the the weather wasn't looking too bad just a bit of rain you know and so we flew up there and it's sort of after as soon as we arrived it sort of started raining for the next well five days but the the one day in the middle on the fourth day we had about maybe two hours of when it wasn't raining so we jumped up got out got our gear on still a bit wet because everything was just saturated by this 
this time in the hunt. And so we ran up this face, um, up the valley a bit, and even just 100 metres from camp, we're spotting good bulls, and um, it was just amazing because the, the, all the bad weather had just pushed them right down, you know. They weren't sort of hanging around on the tops because it was blowing a gale, so they're in the cracks and down low on the nice faces. So we made our way up about an, an hour or so from camp, and we're sitting there watching this couple of bulls, and one come out with a nanny on the ledge, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's not a bad bull. And then this big sucker walked out, and he was a cracker. And I was like, got got the bloke there, his name was Adam. Got them all lined up, and it, it was good. And he, I was like, oh, yeah, you're steady, yeah, you're steady. So he took the shot, and he, he shot it through the kneecaps <laughs> because of the angle. She was about a 45-degree angle, and this poor tar fell about 200 metres off this face. <laughs> and hit his head and committed suicide down in the creek and without any bullets through its vitals and we didn't know this and I thought oh yeah good shot and I think yeah it was straight through the vitals you know like because he just fell off the face instantly you know I did and he's sort of running my dear until he heard the crush and I was like oh shit you know that, what's its face so hopefully we're going to find the horns and stuff like that because it was a good bull yeah we don't also really like to do that, but I was like, oh, yeah, if he shoots him and he slides down that screen, but obviously he shot it and he just runs straight off the biggest face <laughs> he could possibly find. <laughs> so we nicknamed that the suicide bull. When we got up there, she's a cracker bull over 10 years old and just an awesome bull, about 13 inches, real dark mane, had a bit of a cut on its nose and hitting the rocks and one of its horns was a bit loose, but it was good. We... um. We gathered that up and skinned it out, shot back down the camp. It's like, oh, I might as well cook up a feed there. And so I was sitting there and I put on some chamois sausages with some uh, onions. And about looked up on the hill and there's another about five or six bulls standing about 300 metres away looking at us. <laughs> like, oh, shit, what do I do now? But by the time, I was like, get the gun ready and I'm cooking and trying to look at these bulls and see how big they are and do about 10 things at once and get the gun out and so that the fog would come back down and then the rain come back in. And so that that night, it was, it was a good night, but the rain come in again and we're planning to fly out the next day and we just got hammered by the wind. It was blowing, just blowing its ringer out. Just I've never had worse conditions in my life and the tents got absolutely shredded. Like these good tents, you know, like $700 jobbies. Um, and I got water in me likers, all me my uh, life of those Dervids and then all my cameras got soaked just about everything broke um, my tents were shredded like paper and then so we were stuck under a rock with the MSR uh, whisper light gas cooker trying to keep warm at 2 o'clock in the morning which wasn't too good yeah. um, and then a the helicopter finally came at about midday when it cleared up so I don't think I've ever been so happy to jump in the shower <laughs> No, it sounds. What's the? Is it? I mean, I've actually never been in New Zealand. I really want to go. I'm thinking about maybe doing a trip in the middle of next year and just having a look around and going to the couple of gun shops. You know, just sort of meeting up with people. Maybe do a few shows type of thing as well. And um, yeah, you know, is there a lot of rain over there? What's the What's the temperament? Obviously, a lot different. In Australia always a bit cooler, but what's the temp? What's the temperature like? And how does it always raining or? Yeah, basically it's um. So we're based right in the roaring 40s longitude latitude so um, we get about 200 days of rain a year Um, 
on the west coast, and then a good year down Fiordland, you can get uh, about eight metres of rain um, <laughs> per year. So wow. a lot of rain, a lot of wind. Um, so basically, you just got to deal with it. We try to get the best gear as possible, and we're well prepared on that trip. You know, like we we had all the gear and stuff, and knowledgeable and personal locator beacons and satellite phones and everything. Yeah. So we're we're really well prepared and we still got caught out, you know. So even if blokes wanted to come over and do a hunt by themselves, like get them to talk to me so I can at least point them in the right direction, make sure they go safely, yeah. not going into an area there's going to be avalanches for that time of year and et cetera, et cetera. So at least they're going there safe, you know. Yeah, that's right. Always can't get it, you know, too much safe. I bloody bought a, you know, a PLB or a locator beacon as well, you know, with the GPS. I tell everyone, you know, if you're going to get out there and you're going on your own, especially over here, we've got bloody snakes left, right and centre, you know, get out there and get a PLB, get your bandages and stuff like that because you never know when you're going to need it. You get bitten or you something happens, you need a way to get out of there. You need someone to obviously try and rescue you, so... Uh, so safety always important, mate. All right, good. We're going to finish off, mate. Tell us. I mean, obviously, people want to book in. They want to get a good hunt. They want to get some of these game we spoke about at the start. They want to. They want to book in for one. They want to see when you're available. Uh, give us the website. You know, is there a Facebook page or there's not? Or where can they go? What phone number can they call you on, etc. Yeah, basically, um, you can check out our website at www.maindivideoutfitters.com, and yep. then we also got a, a Facebook page on Facebook. Um, we put up a lot of our stories, and um, you can actually find the Facebook page through our, our website. It's on the home page there. should be um, all the updates from, from different stuff, and then you can contact us through um, our email as well, which is uh, maindivideoutfitters at gmail.com um, for all your booking needs, and basically you can find all the some of the price lists and everything that you sort of need on the website. Um, a lot of testimonials from guys, um, a few tar being shot, and um, if you have a look at our, our YouTube channel, we've also got a few videos of um, some big tar being shot on there, so check that out as well. Awesome stuff, man. You heard it there, guys. You want to get out, you want to get an experienced hunt in, you want to you know, have a really, really good chance of you know getting some of these uh, animals um, you know, to bring back or for food or for whatever it may be for some personal enjoyment and an awesome hunting experience. Check out Tom and Main Divide Outfitters. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. I pretty appreciate your time. Yeah, it was great. Thank you, Jackie. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.